Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. I invite you this time to get your Bibles out to Matthew chapter 6. We do... Uh, sequential expository preaching here, which means that we just take the next passage uh, for our Sunday. And so we did not necessarily orchestrate all of these elements to fasting. This is just where we are. We believe this is the inspired, infallible Word of God. Every bit of it is profitable. And so we are going ahead with the next text here in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been working through for the past several weeks and looking like we will be going through for the next several weeks. But I invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at verses 16 through 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Just as we were singing that song about desire, it just struck me. You know, one of the difficulties when we come to a passage like fasting, you think about when was the last time you actually physically had desire for food or for really anything. We, we live in such a plentiful nation, a plentiful region uh, you know, even though Iowa and Ringgold Decatur counties, we have our poverty issues, there, there really is uh, incredible abundance such that I don't know how many of us ever go a day of our life where we actually feel hungry. I know we think we are hungry. <laughs> I know that we think, boy, I'm ready for my next meal. But ever getting to a point of where you're actually physically, yes, I must have food, not just because I'm bored, but I desire actually corporally, physically in my body, food. And it makes a topic like fasting really interesting. When we talk about desire, what do we desire? What, is, what are we longing for more than anything else such that we will give up various other things just to have this one great desire? When I was a... a a younger man, I worked retail at a store called Places. Maybe you remember the best of all places was our jingle. And, uh, and the store was called Places. Uh, but I, I, I was climbing up in the world, so I thought, and I was becoming a supervisor, and I had a, a store job, which is where we were, we were putting new, we were, we were planting new stores. Uh, we were building new stores up in Orange City, Iowa, which is like four hours away from here. It's Dutch country. It's not because they grow oranges. It's because of the aristocracy of orange. Anyway, it's a long ways up there, four hours away. And I was on a week store job. Um, 
but I had a, a girl down in Mount Air four hours away that I really like to spend a lot of time with. And so uh, I'm, I've got the hotel paid for. I got mileage up there per diem paid for, but I was scraping money together. But my desire to be with this girl was so strong that on that Wednesday that I was up there, I left at 2 in the afternoon so that I could drive four hours to come home, do, do a little kids uh, a programming that we did at our church, and then hang out. I think I hung out to about 11.30 midnight and then drove four hours back to Orange City, slept in the parking lot until 6.30 to go to work for a couple hours of sleep. What that is is crazy. But I had this high desire that I'm willing to forego a good night's sleep. I'm willing to forego the money that I could have saved on gas. I'm willing to forego sitting down and having a meal. I'm going to drive back and forth because I had this higher desire that I'm going to, get, I'm going to put other things aside in order to see this one desire fulfilled, right? Well, it was this morning we're, we're heading on into this little section in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus really has been impressing pressing upon us the importance of right worship towards God. That's really the big idea. You could probably cover all three of these sections in just one sermon about the importance of your religious duty not being to parade your righteousness before others, but from the heart truly wanting to serve and love your Father who sees in secret. That really is the big idea from all of these uh, illustrations of the religious observances that Jesus lays out for us here. He's used the three different ones, the giving of alms to the needy, praying your prayers to your Father, and now fasting. But really throughout them, uh, the main theme has been that worship that God delights in is pure worship that comes from the heart of his people. Worship that God delights in is worship that comes from the heart of his people. Pure worship is motivated by the worthiness of the object of our worship. It's a worship that is done not out of a desire for recognition, so that when we all walk out, we hope somebody sees us leaving church on a Sunday morning and they say, well, those must be really dedicated religious people. Look at them practicing their righteousness. That is not the motivation of the king's people. Worship that is undertaken because uh, no matter the response or the accolades that we may get from the world, we have a father who is in heaven, who sees in secret, who rewards his people. And we'll get to what that reward is in a little bit. But this is why there's been this warning in all of these instances of performing your religious duties before the watching world in order to receive their applause. Jesus is saying, don't draw attention to yourself when you give by making a spectacle, you know, making a loud ring of the trumpet, having them go before you announcing your giving. Don't make a big spectacle in your prayers by praying a long time or using big fancy words or being loud so everyone hears you. Don't, then you receive your reward. In the same way now with fasting, he's saying to the, when you fast, you know, don't go out with your hair all disheveled and mourning and, oh, I'm fasting, I'm, I'm so religious, I'm in the midst of my fast, because then you receive your reward. Instead, he says, clean your face, comb your hair, look decent, because it is not about what the world around you thinks, it is what the Father who sees in secret what he thinks. So, really, we see this, if you're on social media, you see this all the time. 
um, people celebrating their righteousness, even if it isn't Christian, celebrating their spirituality in front of others to get their accolades, to get their sort of like applause. You'll see a post about my morning meditation was just so meaningful and drove me, you know, I felt all these wonderful things and, and, and really trying to get from the watching world this, oh wow, this is a person who spends time meditating, aren't they impressive? Well, they've received their reward because they're, they're parading their, their form of righteousness. But you'll also see it, and I, if you've done this, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pick on you, but it's just the reality. You'll see at Lenten season, which is a, a church throughout church history, there's been these seasons of recognized fasting and it's not done very, anyway, I won't criticize too much, but a 40-day 40, 40 season of fasting before Easter, and I don't know how many times somebody will give up a candy bar at Easter or for Lent, and they'll get on social media and they'll say, oh, I just want a Kit Kat so bad, or I really miss my Snickers, and they'll go on, but I've given it up for Lent. They've just received their reward. <laughs> Everyone, wow, you're so impressive. You've given up your, you've done your fast. That is not the point. That is not, that's exactly, they have not read this section of practicing their fast before the watching world. So this morning, as we think about this last religious practice, it just seems like it's beneficial. I mean, really, I think because we've spent so many weeks here working through this, if you've been listening to those, you kind of get Jesus' emphasis behind this. But since we're here, it just doesn't come up as you work through Scripture. It doesn't come up all that often to talk about a religious practice, a spiritual discipline, like fasting. So it just seems like it's a negligence of my duties to not at some point talk about this religious practice of fasting in the life of a Christian. Most likely it's not a topic that you've heard much about. It's really kind of disappeared from the normal routine of a typical American evangelical Christian. Uh, if you're Catholic, they have their prescribed fasting. If you're in some other traditions, they might have them. But for the standard American evangelical um, in just a mainline or just sort of a non-denominational situation, fasting kind of has disappeared. Um, and I'll get to why I think that is uh, a little bit later, some of the reasoning why that is. But First and foremost, fa fasting, to give it some sort of a definition, fasting is the abstaining from a natural good for a period of time. It's abstaining from a good for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. It's abstaining from a, 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 a good, a, a natural good, something that's good in and of itself. It's an amoral or it's not, it doesn't have any moral significance. Abstaining from a natural good for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. Fasting... Has been, is practiced by all sorts of religions, right? We Many different religions throughout history, but for our purposes this morning, um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you do see many instances of God's people fasting. They'll just abstain from food for a season for a spiritual purpose. And we could go through, I won't make you flip around, but if you want to look these up later, um, examples in the Old Testament, here's just some Moses famously fasted in Deuteronomy chapter 9, 9. He says those 40 days when he was up on the mountain, he did not eat or drink. Moses in his very supernatural, fat, empowered fast in Deuteronomy 9, 9. Elijah fasts in 1 Kings 19, verse 8. Daniel famously fasts in um, Daniel 1, 12, which has kind of terribly been taken up by pop culture and called the Daniel fast, where he was staying from certain foods. Totally not the point of the Daniel fast, but he did fast for a season of time from certain foods. 
God, in fact, commands, in fact, commands his people to fast one day a year in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 29 through 31. And it's interesting to take Jesus's um, criticism of the religious people of their days. You remember the publican and the sinner, uh, they're, they're, they're worshiping in the temple and the, the, the one guy is so glad, he says, I'm so glad I'm not like this sinner. Um, I fast twice a week. I give alms. I do all these great things that the, the religious people of that day, they took the one day a year fast that God prescribed and they turned it into, well, we've got to fast maybe once a month. We've got to fast then once a week. They're fasting two days a week at this point. Really, high, really um, our religious impulse is always to double down just to make sure. And so you see them, uh, actually the Jewish people, fasting two days a week in their tradition. But God commands one fast a day in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 29 through 31. There were times, like in the book of, of Jonah, where they, where they call a fast for repentance. The book of Esther, when a big problem comes up and they declare a fast to pray and to seek God. The prophet Joel calls his people to, to repent with fasting, to turn from their sins. Um, and this practice then continues on into the New Testament with... Jesus himself fasting for 40 days when he goes off into the wilderness, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. But not only that, we see numerous, we're not going to look at all the references, in the book of Acts of the Church of God spending time fasting when there was a certain need upon the table or a certain direction that they were seeking, they would call a fast. And so, we get to this, I know that was a long history, just a brief overview, really. When it comes to today, then, is, is fasting for the New Testament believer today? Is the question, you know, okay, so here's examples of, of fasting in our, um, in our history, but is it today? And a simple answer is yes. Yes. Um, there's nothing scripturally, you could not point to me a passage that would say, this is where fasting died. Um, the closest passage would be something like Colossians chapter uh, 2, where Paul talks about the inefficiency of asceticism to cure your carnal desires. And people will, people will going around and telling you to abstain from certain things, but he says they have no ability, no benefit in restricting the flesh. And, he's, and so he's you know, declaring all foods clean, everything is good that is received with thanksgiving. Those are all good and true passages but none of them negate this, this spiritual practice. Um, but I think when we look at these words from Jesus, and we've emphasized this when it comes to the giving of alms, when it comes to praying our prayers, we see the same thing in verse 16 and in verse 17. And when you fast. And then in verse 17, but when you fast. And he's speaking to his disciples and there's an understood, there's an implication there, right? That when he says when you fast, because you will fast. Another clear instance is later on in the book of Matthew, and I will invite you to turn to this one. Matthew chapter 19 verses 14 through uh, 15. That is not the correct reference. Oh, no, I hate when this happens. Oh, nine. Oh, I'm like, oh, I hate when this happens. Matthew chapter 9, not chapter 19. Okay, that made me really nervous for a second. 
There it is, even the heading, a question about fasting. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 15. The disciples come to Jesus and they're asking this question. John the Baptist and his disciples obviously regularly fast. So the disciples of John come to him and say, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Well, that's interesting. So Jesus says to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So these John the Baptist disciples who are very much repentance, the call to turn from your sin, they're in fasting, they're in repentance, and all these things. And they look over at Jesus and his disciples, and they're going to weddings, and they're having parties, and they're meeting with publicans, and they're meeting with sinners of all types, and, 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 and feasting. And he's like, what's going on? Why do your disciples not fast? And Jesus is saying, he's the bridegroom. While I'm here, why would they fast? The king is in their presence. They have no reason for for mourning, the king is present, but the time is coming when the bridegroom, when Jesus will not be with them, and he says, then they will fast. What are they fasting about in that section? You can go on there. It goes on to the wines and the wineskins, which is interesting uh, where Jesus takes this. But there is this desire from the king's people that, that their main longing is for him. And so there's the, the season that's coming of fasting for Jesus' disciples that when he departs, they will fast. Out of the implication there is longing for their king. They, they fast out of a longing for their king. Jesus states the time is coming when he will depart from his disciples and their longing uh, to be, in their longing to be with him, they will fast. There is an essential longing in the practice of fasting for the king and his kingdom. Fasting communicates a longing for the king, for his kingdom, and for his purposes to be fulfilled. It's not a practice to ingratiate God to get what you want. Like you would just, here's something I want to have happen. And so as a part of my sacrifice, if I fast from food, maybe God will really listen to me then and give me what I want. That's not the picture at all that we get from the New Testament. But it is this communicating to your own self, to God, to the world, whatever you want it to be, communicating to the spiritual force, whatever you want, to, the, the communicating to yourself in a very real way, my primary desire, my primary longing, more than I long even for the sustenance that keeps my body moving, more than I long, Jim's quote of the book of Habakkuk was great, the, more than the, the fig tree, if it does not blossom and the fruit does not come on the vine, more than I want anything, I will delight and desire you. I'll be satisfied with nothing else but you. And that is what fasting is communicating. More than I want anything, even the food that gives me sustenance, I want you. I want my king. I want his kingdom to come. I want his purposes to be fulfilled. So then accepting that fasting as a spiritual discipline for today does exist, what does that look like? Just to get some practical applications. Most obviously understood is that a fast is abstaining from food. 
Like, you just can't really deny that reality. As you read the text, as you look at the history, it is an abstaining from food for a period of time. An individual or group may decide that for a period of time, like a common one, it would be a practice of like a 24-hour fast. And we, we've done this a few times as a group. When we're going to pray on a Wednesday night, we might say, when you go to bed Tuesday night, and when you have supper Tuesday night, you're going to fast until after we get done praying that following Wednesday night. That'd be a 24-hour fast where you're skipping breakfast, you're skipping lunch, you're taking those times to devote yourself towards prayer, and you're also taking what I, well, you're taking those rumblings, <laughs> those stomach desires, and when they rise up, you're reminding yourself, this, this is how bad I want you, Jesus. <laughs> this, this, this instinctual desire for you, this, this is more than I want that right now. I want you. I want the king and his kingdom and his purposes. Uh, it's important to notice that fasting, in, when it's mentioned in Scripture, is accompanied by prayer. Uh, the disciples, they can't get the demon cast out, right? And they say, what should we do? And he says, this type of thing doesn't come about except by prayer and fasting. That it's often accompanied with prayer. However, I say that because it doesn't seem that the application of fasting ends there. And so this is why I defined fasting as the abstaining from a good for a specific time for a spiritual purpose. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his, his sermons through this series he says that fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself. So it's a good thing. It's legitimate. A knee, a, a, abstaining from anything which is legitimate for the sake of some spiritual purpose. So fasting can obtain, it seems to be clear, from things other than food. An obvious example is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about married couples abstaining from their, their marital right, uh, privilege, for a season to devote themselves to prayer. It's a fasting of a type. The Bible is certainly pro-marriage. It's certainly pro-marital pro intimacy. Uh, but, but Jesus is saying it's, it's, taking a, a, it's abstaining from a, a good for a season of time for a spiritual purpose. That's a fast of some type. And so it's, it seems clear that fasting can be from other things besides food for a period of time for a, for a spiritual purpose. Um, you might have a hobby that you enjoy that's not, you know, there's nothing uh, evil or wrong or bad about the, a hobby that you undertake for a certain period of time. Uh, and so you say, I'm going to set that aside for the purposes of prayer. Um, it gets a little difficult. I mean, because there is, when you're talking about fasting, it's the sort of thing, if you watch, this is going to get so, I don't, I don't mean to be judgy, but if you watch three to four hours of TV a night, and you just sit around and, and veg on TV and, and, and neglect all of your duties, and then go, you know, you're, you're watching, you're, you're binge watching all sorts of TV shows, and you say, well, I'm going to fast my TV shows for a week. That's a good start, but you might also, like, you might sinfully be consuming too much entertainment, too much television, and maybe you need to not fast it. Maybe you need to repent and, and give up uh, a sinful pursuit. Uh, you know, it's like you can't, you can't fast things like anger. Like, uh, I always get angry, you know. And so this week, I'm going to fast anger. And every time somebody says something stupid and annoying to me, I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to fast it. That's not how that works. That, that is not a moral good. That's not a, not a legitimate good that you can abstain from. See, so it's, 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 a, 
it's a, it's a legitimate good, a moral good, that you're abstaining for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. Um, so, you know, how we spend our time, it's just, it's, we are so consumed and filled with so many things in our world today. Uh, our, our, our calendars are crammed full. Our possessions, our closets are crammed full. Our bookshelves are so full and that, that we don't really have any time to really desire things that matter because we're so full of so many other things. And so there is a, there is a balancing act between that. there might just be sinful things you need to say no to. You may need to say no to some things on your calendar so it's not so jammed full. You might just need to say no to some purchases so that you're not just cramming your life with materialism. And, and that isn't necessarily fasting, although that's a good move. <laughs> fasting is taking something that is a, a moral good, a, a, a legitimate need, and, and ceasing from it for a season, for a, a legitimate, for a spiritual season. One of the positives of our modern world is, is this excess that we have. I mean, we have so many resources available to us, so many things to do, so many entertainments. So many, we could fill our lives with 10,000 things. You know, kids come to you, I'm bored. And I'm just starting to say, that's great. Boredom is really good for you. <laughs> you need to spend time bored. But I mean, I think I look around the room at us adults and how many times do, you know, just the idea of board, we're filled with so many things. And that's, there's a positive of that, I guess. But I think that it's part of the reason why fasting really has grown out of vogue is because we are a fairly self-satisfied, full people of 10,000 things that the world has to offer us that we have deadened our hearts to what we need most. Jesus, the king and his kingdom. And I filled my life, we filled our lives with so many social media things and TV shows and possessions and materialisms and full calendars and this hobby and that hobby. And we're full of 10,000 things that our hearts no longer realize how desperately starved we are for Jesus. We fill with 10,000 other things. Piper says in his book, uh, Hunger for God, he says that uh, fasting keeps us from turning gifts into God's. That, that this is a good things, good things that God gives us, and we turn them into ultimate things. We, we begin to worship the gifts instead of the giver of the gift. One of his points is that it is not often the evils of this world that tear us from God. It's, it's so deceptive. Like, it's like a C.S. Lewis screw tape letter sort of thing. The most dangerous things in your life are not the evils that try to pull you obviously away from God. It's all these good things. That, that God has done, the devil would love to just cram your life full of stuff and get you so satisfied with the things of this world that you don't realize how much you need help from outside of yourself, how much you need Jesus. And fasting is a tool to reconnect us to that longing that there's a real need you and I have, and it is not for a thing in this world. Nothing in this world can satisfy it except for Him. And so fasting can tune our hearts to what, to what is of most value, not the things of the earth, but the Lord of the earth and the Lord of heaven. I just brought these up because we could say so much. These, both these books, this is A Hunger for God by John Piper. It's actually just a whole thing about fasting. It's a super great book. This is the only copy I have 
Uh, it's actually reserved to be loaned out next, but you can probably get on the list or buy a copy. Actually, the PDF of this is free on the website. You can get this whole book for free on the website. And then this book by Don Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. There's a chapter in here talking about fasting. It's a super, a super great chapter, but I just recommend both of those if you want to dig more into the spiritual discipline of fasting. So, flying through that. I just wanted to do due diligence on the discipline of fasting. But remember why Jesus is bringing it up here in this passage. You could nail the discipline of fasting. You could become Mr. or Mrs. Fasting and miss the whole point. <laughs> it isn't about your religious observance. It is about what, what he is looking for. The Father who sees in secret is looking for those who worship him, as he says in John 4 with Woman at the Well, right? Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. His point is this. You can do all of these practices. You can work hard to develop and be faithful in scores of religious activities. But if it's, if it's in your heart to be noticed or congratulated by others, I really hope everyone starts thinking of me as Mr. or Mrs. Fasting. That's your reward. You've missed the whole point. The point, what is important here, is your heart posture towards him. It's why the fasting of the Pharisees is worthless. Because they are doing it just for the, the observance of others. Work hard. They're working hard to make sure that others seem their gloom and their distress. But the king's people must be engaged in regular heart assessment. When you come to church on a Sunday morning, one of our jobs, one of your jobs, one of my jobs is heart assessment. Why am I here? Am I here so that you guys see that I'm here and think, wow, that's a really spiritual guy. Do I hope that if I do my Bible reading, someone's going to catch me maybe doing my Bible reading and then I can get the accolades from them that I've done it? When I spend time in prayer, am I hoping that somebody sees me praying so that I can get the accolades from them? Or is it my king is worthy of my worship. My king is worthy of my praise. It leaves us with this plea and this directive at the end of all of these religious observances. What could be grand enough to motivate us to do these things? Why would we give to the needy and not be seen by anybody? What would be the point? I mean, why would we give to if not, be, not to be seen and get congratulated? Why would I pray if not to be seen by others and think, whoa, what a great prayer? Why would I fast if no one even gives me the credit for it? Because your Father who sees in secret is the one who sees. And this is where the gospel comes in. Because we're calling this, this one who sees our Father who is in heaven sees. It is only the gospel itself because in it, we hear the incredible news of our justification before God and our adoption by Him to become His children. Meaning that the one who is the ultimate treasure, God Himself, we have through faith in the gospel. We have reconciliation with the Creator, the Lord of the universe through repentance and faith in the gospel that Jesus came to earth, lived the righteous life we should have lived but failed to do, died the death that we deserved, so that all, turning from their sin, looking to Christ alone and His righteous work on their behalf, could be forgiven of their sins, justified in God's sight, adopted into His family, secured to Him for all eternity. What more could we want than Him? And in having Him, what do we want? 
more of him. <laughs> it's like once you have, I, don't, I just want a reference. I was getting, once you have meatloaf, what do you want? More meatloaf. Uh, sorry, that's, that's my meatloaf reference. Uh, once you have him, what do you want? More. More of him. Your father who is your father only through repentance and faith and the good news of Jesus Christ. He sees in secret and he rewards in secret. And what does he reward them with? More of himself. More of himself. There's nothing better that you can get from God than him. And so his people, as the king's people, we seek to love and serve him above all else. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you now and sing this closing song together, we want to do the heart work of saying, I am not here for the applause of my neighbor. I don't want to be here for some sort of credit that I might receive, but because I want to join together with the family of God and sing to a God who is worthy of my praise. You are the treasure above all treasures. You're the only hope for man. And God, we have gathered in this place this morning because having heard the gospel and having believed, we have you. We have fellowship with you. And our hearts cry in having tasted you, having seen you, is God, we want you all the more. You're worthy of our praise and our honor. You are our portion and our delight forevermore. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.